Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Exodus chapter 20. This evening uh, we're looking at verses 8 through 11, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 1. Exodus chapter 20 on page 61 in the Church Bibles. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, this evening, we are turning back to the Ten Commandments, and we have been looking at each of the commandments uh, that um, are here in Exodus 20. But as we come to this fourth commandment uh, this evening, we are coming to the most, perhaps the most divisive of all the commandments. Uh, Many Christians will uh, have no problem with uh, the other nine commandments, but there is great differences between Christians on the relevance or the uh, way we should think about this fourth commandment today. Uh, Some Christians uh, look at this as something that is obsolete. It is something that has been uh, abrogated in the coming of Christ. And other Christians see this as an abiding principle that should characterize uh, the life of faith uh, for the new covenant Christian. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson is right when he says the debate over this commandment is both sensitive as it is important. Because if we are uh, observing a command that God has not actually commanded us, then at the very least, we are the weaker brother that Paul speaks about in Romans. And if we're insisting that Christians observe this day when God hasn't, then we are in danger of a form of legalism. So it is something we want to be very sensitive to and something that we understand the importance of the topic itself. But as we come to look at the fourth commandment this evening, we are looking at it as something that we believe continues to have relevance for the believer in the new covenant. 
And we want to think about this commandment in three thoughts. We want to think about uh, the commandment in terms of its basis. Then we want to think about the commandment in terms of how it is broken. And then we want to think about the blessings of the commandment as well. But we want to think about this fourth commandment, about a Sabbath. And the word Sabbath simply means rest. But we want to think about a command where God is commanding us to rest. And we want to see that God is commanding us to rest because he is the rest giver. And because God gives us rest, we are to look to God. We are to receive the rest that he gives and to treasure that uh, in response. But first then, we want to turn uh, to why it is that this commandment still should be thought of as relevant uh, even today. And we want to see it as relevant in three thoughts. It's relevant because of what it is grounded in. Many Christians would look at this commandment and say this doesn't have relevance for the new covenant Christian because it is something that is wrapped up in the old covenant. Uh, because it is something that is attached to Sinai, uh, because it is part of Moses and the ceremonial law. And all of those things have been fulfilled in Christ. And now that Christ has come, we put away those old practices, those old patterns, and we live in the light of the coming of Christ. But as we come to this commandment this evening, what is important to notice is, is that the basis for this commandment is not in Moses. The basis of this commandment is not Sinai. The origination of this commandment is not here. You see that in verse 11. The basis of this commandment is given for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. That the basis of this commandment is rooted in creation. That the Sabbath was practiced even before we get to Exodus 20, which is, which is an important point. But here in uh, verse 11, it's telling us that it is based on the fact of God's work in creation. And so as we think about this very sensitive and very divisive topic, it's important to begin at the beginning and to think, what is this Sabbath all about? And here in verse 11, it tells us to go back to uh, creation, that God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How did God rest on the seventh day? Jesus tells us it was not by ceasing from all work. It was ceasing from one kind of work and then being active in a different way. And so here this rest is not simply ceasing, but it is a resting in terms of delighting. It is being able to turn our attention uh, to something else. Uh, this uh, means to us then that the grounds or the basis of the Sabbath is God's own activity and God's own design. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. How did, how did God bless the Sabbath day? If you go back and you read the creation account, it'll tell us that God blessed uh, the creatures that he created. And then after he blessed the creatures, there's a command that they be fruitful and multiply. That after God created the man and the woman, there's a command that comes right after the blessing. 
that they would be fruitful and multiply. And so by the time we get down to the Sabbath, that the Lord God bless the Sabbath day, we would expect that what that means is that, that the Sabbath day is meant to be a day of fruitfulness. It is meant to be a day of abundance, a day of fullness, and not a day of nothingness. And so the whole idea of God blessing this day is in order for life in its fullness to come to fruition. But God not only blessed the Sabbath day, it says he made it holy. And the way in which this language is being used here, when God makes something holy, he is consecrating, he is setting it apart for a purpose. But the language here is very clear that it is the purpose of worshiping him. That God blessed the Sabbath day in order that it would be a day of worship. And so the, the reason why many Christians look at the, the Lord's day or the Sabbath day as still relevant is because they look at what it says here in verse 11 and they say this is based on God's work in creation. That God had a design from the beginning in which he establishes an order uh, to how the universe is to operate. One person, Michael Morales, says, when you look at creation then, the creation week, you read about what God did on the first day and then what God did on the fourth day. And then, then you come near the end of the creation week and on the sixth day, God made man and woman. And we think that this is the culmination, this is the climax of God's creation. But Michael Morales says it's not. The climax of God's creation week is not ultimately the creation of man and woman. But it is the making of man and woman to enter into Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath day, they enjoy that fellowship of communing with God. That's the climax. God created man and woman so that they would be able to delight in him. And so the seventh day is not just a, a space of nothingness. It is now the arrival of God's purpose. That the man and the woman would delight in their God, in worshiping him, in enjoying life in its fullness. So the basis of the Sabbath there in verse 11 tells us that it is based on God's pattern. God had a design from creation that he created the world and then rested. He set apart that day, blessing it and making it holy. Because this is the time in which God wants to bring together his creation where they would enjoy and delight in him. But it's not just something that is based on what happened in creation. The basis for this Sabbath day practice is also based on God's work of redemption. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, You'll notice that in Deuteronomy, which is what the book means, it is the second giving of the law of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it tells us uh, another reason in which we are to think about the Sabbath. It says there in Deuteronomy 5 at verse 15, uh, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you, to keep the Sabbath day. Now it is building uh, our understanding of what the Sabbath day is about. Not only has God created us and established this pattern in which we are to gather together to have fellowship with God, 
But now the people of God are to see as well that God has done something for them. He has rescued them. And now they are to come before God in response to his work because of uh, his work of redemption. Uh, And that's why the Sabbath becomes so important for the people of God. Because it's teaching them about God's work of redemption. In Exodus 31, it tells us that the Sabbath was meant to serve as a sign from God. That the Lord has sanctified the people that he redeemed. And that's his purpose. And so as one person explains, God has committed himself to making his people by grace what he has called them to be. That he set apart this day as a sign to them that they are that they are sanctified, they are made holy. And that's communicating to them God's purpose for them. He will make them what he has called them to be. And then you trace that theme of the Sabbath throughout the scriptures. You think about the prophets. They come to Israel. They confront them about why they are despising the Sabbath day. The, the prophets tell them that God's judgment will come upon them because of how they have desecrated uh, the day of rest. The land will enjoy its rest because you did not rest yourselves. That you, you neglected God's uh, stewardship and that you despised the Lord's grace. And even the prophets would speak of a future day. You think of Isaiah. Isaiah says there will come a day when the people of God will delight in the Sabbath. That that the Sabbath will actually be a delight to them. But when you get to the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament timeline, you turn to books like Nehemiah. At the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has to rebuke the people again for profaning the Sabbath. They're still not delighting in the Sabbath, even at the end of the Old Testament. And so you have this hangover of what the prophets were doing. They were telling the people, this was a gift of God that you're despising. But there will come a day when this gift is something that is treasured. Even though you don't see it happening in the Old Testament. It's left unresolved and it carries forward. You move into the Gospels and what do you find? You find three things in Jesus. A very careful observance of the Sabbath. You find Jesus not only carefully observing the Sabbath, but you find Jesus carefully qualifying the right observance of the Sabbath as well. And not only this, but uh, Jesus uh, highlights that he is Lord of the Sabbath uh, and highlighting the benefits of the Sabbath. When Jesus was challenged um, uh, his, uh, by the Pharisees, you remember the Pharisees came to Jesus asking why his disciples broke the Sabbath because they were plucking the heads of the grain and eating as they, as they walked through the field. And Jesus had to uh, defend or to explain the actions of his disciples. But in his answer, Jesus said, even so, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What was Jesus saying there? He was saying two things. One, he was saying he had authority over the proper observance of the Sabbath and what Sabbath means. But then too, Jesus is incorporating the idea of Sabbath into his kingdom. You can't be Lord of something that doesn't exist. You can't be Lord over something that has been destroyed. 
So when Jesus says he is Lord over Sabbath, that he is the one who has authority about Sabbath and about rest, he's also highlighting that the idea of rest is found in him, that he is the one who carries the meaning of it himself. And ultimately, that's what Jesus has come to do. The reason why Sabbath continues to be important is because that's the mission of Jesus. Jesus came into this world to bring a greater rescue than God brought to Israel from the land of Egypt. That the slavery and the suffering that they felt physically is ultimately picturing the delivery that Christ would bring from the weight and the suffering of sin. That's why Jesus said, come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus was going to come into this world to take the weight of sin on his shoulders so that we would know rest ourselves. And as Lord of Sabbath, we come to him knowing that ultimately he rescues us from the consequences of sin. That's what Jesus does ultimately by laying down his life and then by rising again on the first day of the week. His resurrection pictures and points us to the rest that he has accomplished. And so you keep tracing that line throughout the scriptures of rest, of Sabbath. It's on the first day of the week that Jesus was raised from the dead. In, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it highlights five times that Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. That's an odd detail for the Gospels to keep mentioning unless it's explaining to us why they're gathering together on the first day of the week. It's because they're celebrating the redemption of God. Not only are they incorporating that principle of one in seven, that God has established a pattern that we are to come before the Lord, that he is structuring our order of time, that time is not up to us, that we are not Lord over our use of time ultimately, but that we are to be stewards of time and that God has established a structure in creation. The reason why we follow a seven-day week and not a 10-day week as the French Revolution was wanting, is because we are acknowledging God's work in creation. But then more than that, we're not just acknowledging God's ownership over time, but we're acknowledging God as creator. But then when we think about God's work of redemption, it's on the first day of the week that we're celebrating. Because God's rescue in Christ was accomplished when the cornerstone the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That, that this is something of the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes, the psalmist says. That this is the day that the Lord has made. And in it we will rejoice. The psalmist is talking about the day of salvation. And the day of salvation was accomplished when, when the stone that was rejected has become manifested as God's centerpiece. The resurrection is the culmination of salvation from sin. And so the early church gathered together on the first day of the week because they were celebrating God's work, salvation from sin. 
Again, you see this in the early church. It's on the first day of the week that the church gathers in the book of Acts and in Corinthians. That, uh, that uh, the apostle John speaks about it as the Lord's day. Why is it the Lord's day? Isn't every day the day of the Lord? Well, even though we recognize that God has given us food and all food is a gift from God, we also recognize that there are some that the bread and the wine is to be commemorated as the Lord's meal. This is the Lord's Supper. And it is assigned a special purpose. And so in the same way, the Lord's day is set apart as holy because we are commemorating God's work of salvation. And so it continues to carry on significance in, in the New Testament and the early church. The early church believers from the first century spoke about the Lord's day. We gather on the eighth day or the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And so why is it that Christians observe a Sabbath day? It's because it is rooted in creation. That God has established a pattern for how we think about time. That time is not of ourselves. It's because God's work of redemption uh, is to be celebrated. And that work of celebration ultimately points us uh, to salvation from sin through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here still unconvinced. Uh, maybe your mind goes to those passages where Paul says one person esteems one day higher than another uh, and other people esteem all day alike. Uh, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And maybe you think this is all optional. But it is important to realize there that in those passages, Paul is talking about and aiming at protecting Christian liberty against the ceremonial law. Paul is wanting to guard against the imposing of the ceremonial law on Gentiles. He's not talking about the moral law. And Paul himself recognized that the church gathers on the first day of the week. That's when Paul also met with the church on the first day of the week. And so it, it is not something that we simply brush off and say that, well, that uh, one person can establish any day they want. Even in those passages, when, uh, Paul, when Paul speaks about one person established or honors uh, Sabbaths and holy days and new moons, the word there for Sabbath is in the plural. He's not talking about that regulated weekly Sabbath, but rather about the Jewish ceremonial practices. So why should we uh, believe that setting one day aside in seven for rest and for worship it is because it remains a relevant teaching. It is because it is pointing us to a truth that still is relevant. And so the sign of the Sabbath continues to be relevant. The reason why Christians should stop and to celebrate is because they are people who are living in light of God's work, even as they await the fullness of it. We read there in Hebrews chapter 4 that therefore there remains a Sabbath day for the people of God. That in that passage, whether you take that to mean a Sabbath, meaning a Sabbath day, or whether that means a Sabbath in eternity, regardless of how you look at that, the writer of Hebrews is saying the Sabbath remains relevant. That the idea of rest is still meant to shape the way the Christian lives.
And if that mindset, that sign from God remains relevant, then so does the practice. That's what John Murray would argue. That when we think about what is being communicated in the Sabbath, that is what is meant to structure our use of time. So the Sabbath remains relevant because we are created for fellowship and we are looking forward to the enjoyment of a greater rest when sin will be no more. So why, why the commandment is still relevant? It's rooted in creation. It points to salvation. And it is something that ultimately points forward to the eternal rest of God. When there will be no more sin. When there will be a fullness of enjoyment of God. And that truth shapes our way of living now. We're being structured to be reminded of God's promise. Of what it is we're dedicating ourselves for. Well, if this is true, uh, that the Sabbath continues uh, to have relevance for us, then how is it that the Sabbath can be broken? The Old Testament actually says uh, precious little about how the people of God actually observe the Sabbath day. That might sound surprising, but it is part of the simplicity of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is really structured around two principles, and it is really the honoring of those two principles that allows the Sabbath to remain a delight and not a burden. The two principles that are to shape the Sabbath is the ceasing of work and the delighting in God. That it is the stopping or the uh, halting of one's regular activities and then turning one's attention to contemplate the glory of God. And as long as we have those two principles in mind, it is going to help us still look at the Sabbath as something to delight in. But if that is uh, to shape our understanding of the Sabbath, then we break the Sabbath when we refrain from ceasing from the ordinary and the unnecessary works to worship our creator and redeemer. We can become so wrapped up in our own interests, our own works, that we ignore God's calling to come and to worship when we, when we halt from coming to God because we have other things that we have to do because we're so wrapped up in doing stuff or because we're so uh, anchored on getting ahead because we want to make a little bit more in order to justify our standard of living so that we can simply enjoy the comforts around us. We, we throw out all kinds of things for why we're doing what we're doing, but we're not ceasing to honor God. We're choosing something other than God as important when God has established a structure to our time. Now, the scriptures do teach that there are works of mercy. There are works of necessities. Jesus himself teaches that there are actions and work that has to happen on the Sabbath day. That is part of loving our neighbor, even as it is serving God. But we have to ask ourselves, are the works that we are doing works of mercy or are they simply works of convenience? Are we giving ourselves to things that are honoring to God or are we really aiming to do what we want to do irregardless of honoring God? So we can break the Sabbath then uh, by refusing uh, to order our time as God would uh, reveal to us. 
part of the problem with when we come to the question of, well, am I allowed to do X, Y, and Z on the Sabbath, is really about managing our time. What are we doing with the rest of the week that makes us want to put everything else into Sunday? When we can't slow down and rest and be able to turn our attention to the works of God. Not only do we break the Sabbath then when we refuse to cease from work, but we can also break this commandment when we uh, uh, cause other people to break this commandment. When we cause others to unnecessarily to be deprived of rest and the opportunity to worship on the Lord's day. In other words, we can break the Sabbath when we're forcing other people to work, where we're not giving them rest, when we're really putting the onus on their employer uh, to allow them to have rest, when we could be giving them that structure of simply withdrawing and ceasing from engaging in certain activities on the Lord's Day. We're giving people the opportunity to find rest, and we're giving people the opportunity to come and to hear what God has done in Christ. So we can actually, this is one practical way in which you can love your neighbor. I can love my neighbor by allowing them rest. I can love my neighbor by giving them opportunity to go to church. I can love my neighbor by helping them not to live as machines. I can love my neighbor by giving them an invitation to come and to hear what God has done. We can also break this commandment, though, uh, uh, by refraining from delighting in God. The Sabbath is not simply something to be thought of in negative terms. Stop working. A person can come to church every Sunday uh, and still break the Sabbath. Uh, if we are dreading every moment in, in church, uh, if we can't wait to be done with Sunday, as was true in the Old Testament. People just couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over. Then we are missing the point of it. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift. It was something that was meant to enrich the soul. And so if we are dreading every minute of the day, we're actually not observing the Sabbath day. And if we find no delight in the Lord's day, it does call to question the state of our heart. What do we really cherish? What do we truly delight in if we don't delight in hearing of what God has done? If we don't delight in uh, worshiping our God? If we don't delight in being with the Lord's people? It should make us ask the Lord to give us a heart that delights in what he delights in. That we would begin to see what Isaiah says, that this is the day that we would call a delight. And it's only when God's grace does become something important to us that the Lord's day will be seen as something special. Not as something that is binding us like chains, but actually that it's like wings that give us the opportunity to fly. In old days, people used to call the Sabbath the market day of the soul. What were they meaning when they said that? You think about in the old days when people would go to market, they would get in their wagon, they would, they would venture into the community and they would go and they would get their goods the market day is the day of opportunity. The market day is when you get all your resources. The market day is when you get all that you need to be equipped for the week that lies ahead. 
you're getting prepared, you're getting built up, you're being enriched by going to the market. You get what you need. But they were saying the same thing is true when we think about the Lord's Day. That what I need is to come and to hear what God has done. What I need is to be recentered because so easily I become obsessed with my work. Because so easily I become tied down with the pressures of life. Because so easily I think about just produce. I'm just thinking about what I produce in life. When I need to hear that my life is to be structured by God's works, that I am to be shaped by God's grace, and to be reminded that in Christ I have rest, and now I can go back and face what I have in this life in faith. And so, if, uh, as we think about uh, the Sabbath then, the Sabbath was meant to be a delight. It was meant to turn our attention to God's works and to rejoice, not only in God as our creator, but to worship our God as redeemer. And Jesus came into this world to teach us that he gives rest from sin, that we can live no longer burdened with sin, but to know the rest that comes from that. He has taken the sins of his people on his shoulders that we might go forth with the enjoyment and the freedom that he brings, that we might live with wings, as it were. So there's the basis of the Sabbath, creation, redemption, consummation. There is the breaking of the Sabbath when we refuse to acknowledge God's works or when we dread uh, delighting in God. But then there's also the blessing of the Sabbath. What is the blessing uh, that is being conveyed here? How exactly is it a gift? Very quickly, uh, it is first and foremost, it gives us a day of rest. We are not machines that are constantly producing and we're not to treat one another as machines. We are to be treating one another as those who are created to know and to enjoy God. And we wanna be intentional about how we use our time and other people's time. Secondly, it gives us a regulated rhythm. Not only does it teach us about rest, but it teaches us about work. It puts limits on our, our work. It helps us understand uh, boundaries of how we go about uh, using our time. It helps us structure our week. We don't go into our week, work, 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 and then find rest as the reward. We go into our life seeing rest that is given to us as a gift and then work, work, work as a response of gratitude. Not to earn, not to make ourselves important, but in thanksgiving as an act of worship. Thirdly, it helps us appreciate the gathering of worship. The writer of Hebrews reminds us not to neglect together, uh, neglect the gathering together of the saints. It is on the first day that the saints gather together to celebrate uh, Christ's redemption. It is uh, the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in their eyes. Jesus is the gate through which the righteous enter, uh, as the psalmist says. And so as we gather together in Christ's name, we come as those who are declared righteous in God's sight. As we gather together, we are appreciating God's wisdom in calling his people to assemble uh, before his throne of grace. But then fourthly, it teaches us to long for heaven. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Lord's day then teaches us to look forward because God's purposes will be fully realized. 
when we can enjoy God's creation, uh, his uh, grace and fullness in a restored creation. So how should we think about the Sabbath? We should think about it as a gift of God. God commands his people to rest. For us to push back against that is mind-boggling. As though we want to define our existence by what we accomplish or by what we do. Rather, we should enter into God's rest, rejoicing. Christ came to bring rest and relief from our sins. Christ came to give us the gift of eternal life, the promise of eternal rest. And we are to live now enjoying what God has done, knowing it is secure. God's purpose was shaped from the beginning at creation. Why did God bless the Sabbath day and make it holy? So that he would show his people that ultimately it is his point that his people would have communion with him. And on the Lord's day, we are expressing that's our heart's desire as well. Is that your heart's desire? Then the Sabbath will be a delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would guard us from legalism, that you would guard us from a carelessness. Help us, Lord, to be able to understand your purposes and to be able to be shaped by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the, the Lord of the Sabbath. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who came to give rest from sins. And we pray that we would be shaped uh, by your grace and your works. In Jesus' name we pray.